First of all, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Christ's dying for us on the cross. Says Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Today on the Song Time broadcast, we continue our year in review. In this message from Sinclair Ferguson, we'll look at the central theme of our study in the book of Galatians, that we are crucified with Christ. We no longer live, but the life we live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God. Stay tuned for that message. But first, we're going to hear from Neil Shenvey, who wrote a book on apologetics addressing the questions that many of our younger, uh, young adults in the church are asking today. The many voices are coming together for that one message. I'm your host, Adam Miller. You're listening to Songtime Radio. As I look back over the course of the many interviews that we had this year, there was a unique theme, I think, that was actually very pertinent to this year. Uh, the year prior, there was a lot to deal with the church and the community and being together, obviously, during a pandemic. We were thinking about that. But this year, the question at stake was a matter of apologetics. We had several interviews on this subject, and our guest today is Neil Shenvey. His book is called Why Believe? A Reasoned Approach to Christianity. And he is addressing these issues of apologetics in a way that I think is crucial to right here and right now. There are so many challenges, especially with people walking away from the faith because of what they're seeing in the mainstream media, in politics, in our culture, what's happening around the world. And they're developing a a sort of negative attitude towards Christianity as a whole. Uh, We have a negative reputation. This shouldn't surprise us. Jesus told us that we would be persecuted for his namesake for no other reason than other other than identifying with Jesus. And in that context, it's important for us to be able to address the concerns and the questions raised by our our community, but to do so in a loving and winsome manner. And Neil Shenvey is addressing all of those questions in his book. This, uh, from an earlier interview as a part of our year-end review, he I asked him to share a little bit about uh, why this book is so pertinent to our time and day, where many of the the younger generation are basing their their ideas on right and wrong, fact and fiction, what is truth and what is false, based on their feelings, rather than basing it on what is actually arguable and discernibly as true. So here is my interview with Neil Shenby. One of the things, I think I actually heard it a long time ago from Mark Dever, who's a pastor in um, Washington, D.C., but he said that we need to be confident that God's written his law on our hearts. Yeah. We all have consciences. We do. We, we suppress them. That's true. Paul says that too in Romans 1. But they're there. And so we don't have to say, well, man, what if people deny that morality exists? They will, they will do that. Of course, they'll say, no, I don't believe in right and wrong, good and evil. These are all just social constructs. They'll say that with their mouths. But we know that's not true. We know that they encounter the same moral reality that all of us do because we're made in God's image. And so we have to start from that assumption, that truth, that no, those categories are really out there and we all encounter them. And that what they're doing, like all of us, is suppressing that truth in unrighteousness. And again, not just singling out atheists, we human beings naturally do, all do that until we're converted. And so uh, 
so in the book, I get I respond intellectually to those objections, but I also point out that even the avowed moral relativist who will say, I don't believe in good and evil and right and wrong, their, their actual behavior does not reflect that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's an inconsistency when they, because when they, you'll say, people will say, well, I don't believe in right and wrong and good and evil. These are all social constructs. And this is a, this is bigotry. This is evil, wicked hatred. And how can you do that? Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe I'm just living my truth as a bigot. <laughs> but so there, there, there are many cases I show them in the book where, where mm-hmm. you'll catch people uh, invoking moral categories even after denying them intellectually. And I'll mm-hmm. say, wait, what's going on? The answer is they're running into the same categories that all of us have as human beings made in God's image. And I actually quote from an atheist author named Steven Pinker. He's a Harvard psychologist, wrote a great book called The Blank Slate where he, in his appendix, points out that categories of right and wrong and good and evil are human universals. Just from an anthropological perspective, all human cultures realize there is a moral law. Now, they differ as to what the content is, although there are wide agreement on things like you shouldn't rape, you shouldn't murder. But the point is, that's the human experience. We, we know there are things that are right and wrong, and we may not have room for that in our worldview, but that just means our worldview is wrong. And mm-hmm. as Christians, we should say, well, no, we have the right worldview, and it explains your experience properly. Mm. I've, I, I was growing up in the Christian church years ago, always hearing these warning signs. We're, we're going towards Sodom and Gomorrah. We're leading to this state where the, the world has completely rejected God. And I would just roll my eyes because, you know, I was, I would all admit now I was pretty naive back then uh, to see how truth had been undermined so much, even just decades ago, to now be in a place where the the standard for truth is constantly being changed and uh, ripped out from underneath us, it's a lot harder to fight for those moral arguments and those truth claims when people are constantly being shifted on on unsolid ground. And we really are living in a time where ultimately the the devil's attack is to attack any foundation for truth. Mm -hmm. But again, I I would say I think Christians can then be reactive and defensive and try to make the case that, no, no, really, really, some things are right and wrong. But I would just say, say, Take a, take a deep breath and realize that they're at war with reality. That, that they, at a deep level, they know that these truths are there, these moral truths are there, and they're suppressing it, but it's, it takes, in some sense, effort on their part. They're, they're living in a way that's at variance with reality. I think Francis Schaeffer said that reality is what you bump into when you're wrong. Mm. And we're seeing more and more people bumping in hard into realities, and sooner or later, uh, they're going to well, hopefully they'll wake up and say something's wrong with my worldview because this isn't making sense. And that's why I think Christians, even if in the moment when you present, say, the moral argument, you say there's certain things that are good and evil, right and wrong, they reject it. But you've hopefully put a stone in their shoe. And they're going to say when a year, two years, 10 years later, when something starts falling apart, they're like, maybe something, they'll go trace it back and say, maybe my problem was denying what I knew to be true. Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, I, I think that we should not, we don't have to be, quite so defensive. We can say, I am standing confident in what is true and what God has revealed, and then operating and arguing from that position uh, that this is why we know, we actually already know that God exists, even though, again, our natural inclination is to suppress that knowledge because why? Because we all know we're on the wrong side of God's law. <laughs> if we were, if we thought we were awesome, I think we'd be totally willing to say, yeah, yeah, I, I, there is a moral law and I obey it. This is great. But because we're sinners, that's why we suppress the truth, because we know we're on the wrong side of 
of, of not of history of God's law, um, mm-hmm. and and so that's why um, we tend to we, we it's like the person is like the uh, there's a funny story about a guy who's you know the engine light is on his car like the blinking is flashing red blinking check engine check engine so he gets a piece of electrical tape and just tapes over it just mm-hmm. well I can't see it anymore well he is the problem gone away no but he has suppressed the problem because he can't yeah. see it. So we are doing that uh, as a culture and as individuals. We, we, we tape over the check engine light. It doesn't make it go, the problem go away, but it makes, us, it makes us bother us less until the car breaks down. We've been listening to my interview with Neil Shenvey from earlier this year. It's called Why Believe a Reasoned Approach to Christianity. It's an excellent book and one that I can actually recommend to you, especially during this time and age where there are so many questions being thrown out there. We need to be well-versed and well-understanding of the issues so that we can address them from the Bible. Neil Shenvey is a bright mind and one that I would encourage you to follow. Not just get a copy of his book, but find him online. So many great resources uh, from him. We have these books available on our bookshelves here at Songtime, and we'd love to get them into your hands and maybe even distributed through you to your friends, your family, and your neighbors. This is a great a stocking stuffer or a present. Uh, everyone in your life needs to get a book. That's one of the things that I do as a, an uncle and a, a brother. I always try to give books out to my family. I give them other things, of course, but uh, to give them books, I want to encourage them to read and read good books. We have so many good books. You could get all of your Christmas shopping done in just one phone call. Give us a call, 508 362 7070, or you can head over to our website at songtime.com. Well, today we're continuing our year in review. In this message from Sinclair Ferguson, we look back to our most recent study in the book of Galatians. As Sinclair Ferguson points out the central theme of this text, it's Galatians 2.20, that we are crucified with Christ. It's no longer we who live, but it is Christ who lives in us. And the life that we do live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God. So much packed into that one verse. It really is the central message. Here is Sinclair Ferguson with a closer look at Galatians and our call to walk, to live, and to die by faith. Paul is uncovering for us the privileges that are ours as citizens of God's kingdom, as children of the living God, and as those who are Christians, Christ's ones. First of all, The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Christ's dying for us on the cross. Because we have believed into Christ, into union with Christ. Says Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's language is in the perfect tense. I have been crucified with Christ. It's not something that's happening now. It's something that has happened in the past to me. That his verb is in the passive voice. It's not something I have to accomplish. Yes, I have to bring death blows to bear in my Christian life, on my sin. I am one who has crucified the flesh with its lusts, as he says later on in this letter. But this is a glorious gospel reality that has been performed to me rather than done by me. 
Don't listen to this text and then go away saying, I need to crucify myself with Christ. No, this is, this is the glorious reality of our lives that we need both to discover and ponder as well as to feed on. That's what Paul is saying. This is a done deal for you if you're a Christian believer. And now what you are to do is not to make it real for yourself, but to bask in the reality, to enjoy the blessings of the reality that you have been delivered from the bondage of sin and death and Satan because you have been crucified with Christ. The law can no longer condemn you because you've been crucified with Christ. And then as though that were not enough, Paul adds a third preposition. The Son of God gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. Christ lives in me. Now let's try and together unpack what Paul is talking about when he says this. If we can take this in, if the Spirit helps us to take this in. That the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, Christ Jesus the Savior, has now come actually to live in me. And I want us to notice several things. First of all, that this is such a foundational dimension of the gospel. And a foundational dimension to our Christian living. What do I mean by that? I mean this is something that Jesus taught. You remember how he illustrates it by the marvelous picture in John 15 of the vine and the branches. I am the vine, you are the branches. Live in me as I live in you, and you will bear much fruit. Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit comes, he would come himself to dwell in his own people. Now, my friends, that's the whole of the Christian life. That is the Christian life, not in a single text, but in a single statement. The Christian life is the Lord Jesus wants to make his home in your life. So this is something that is absolutely foundational to our Christian lives. Second, it's a spiritual dimension of our Christian lives. And I see some of you are taking notes, so put a capital S at that word spiritual. It's a spiritual dimension to our Christian life. How can the Son of God dwell in me? Well, Paul's answer to that is that he does it by his Holy Spirit. Because it's in the person of the Spirit who ministered on our Lord Jesus. As it were, as it were so identified with the Lord Jesus that when he comes to us, it's Jesus himself pouring himself out into us. So that, of course this is the case, isn't it? This was your experience when you didn't have the Holy Spirit. You could hardly find Jesus in the Bible. You could hardly understand why these strange people were singing their hearts out with praise to Jesus. You didn't understand how they could speak so lovingly of Jesus. Now, even although we scarcely begin to understand the mystery of his indwelling, we understand the reality it produces. And it is a spiritual dimension to the gospel. Third, 
It is a very practical dimension to the gospel. Jesus says that it's the person who dwells in him and whom he indwells who bears much fruit. He's talking about the marvelous transformation that this makes to who we are and how we live and and the direction in which we head in everything that we do. This makes a glorious difference, Paul is really saying to us, to who we are. And it's very practical. Says Paul in Colossians chapter 1 verse 27, Christ in you, the hope. Of glory. And it is, isn't it? And as he says in Romans 5, it's a hope that will never disappoint you for this reason that when Christ comes to indwell you, you're not only hoping for glory, you're tasting glory because Christ is all the glory in Emmanuel's line. And he's come to live in me, in my poor life. He's come to live in me, and so as he lives in me, I taste just a little taste of glory because he's dwelling in me and because he is so kind as to dwell in me by his Holy Spirit. I have every reason to believe he'll hold on to me and one day he'll take me home to where he is that I may see him in unveiled splendor. Christian life in a single text crucified with Christ and yet we live and yet it's not I but Christ who lives in me and the life that we live together we live by faith in the son of God who loved us and gave himself for us the whole book of Galatians can be broken down into three sections the first section is Paul contending for the faith and demonstrating why it's so important for us to to hold fast to the freedom that we have been given in Christ. The second part, which is chapters 3 and 4, deal with the fact of how to live by faith, how to actually live, and then later on Paul will say how to stand in this faith, to stand in the promises, to stand in the Spirit. And then the final two chapters talk about what it really looks like to uh, to walk by faith, to be obedient in the way that God has called us to do. It all comes down to Galatians 2.20. We can't live unless we first die. We have to die to ourselves. As Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. What he is calling us to do is to die to ourselves, to be crucified with Christ. And therefore, to follow his example is to live by faith. Because Paul goes on to say, the life that I now live... I I live in the flesh. We still have this war. We still have this struggle. The only way that we can maintain that struggle is to live by faith. That means to trust in God, to believe his promises, and to be led by his spirit. We who are alive ought also to keep in step with the spirit, which means that when God says something, we ought to do it. Without question, without wavering, we ought to be obedient. The way I've illustrated this point for my church and congregation in in Chatham, a fishing village, 
is that the, the Bible is very restrictive. Our faith is very restrictive. It does not allow us to continue to do whatever we want to do. In many ways, it's like a boat. Uh, there are railings. There are uh, There's limited square footage. You go underneath and you hit your head on the beam because it has low ceilings. Uh, there are a lot of restrictions, and you can be even li- sitting on the boat looking out in the vast ocean and saying, why are we so confined to this boat? The alternative is the limitless square footage of the ocean. No railings and no beams to hit your head when you go under, un, underneath the deck. Uh, but the problem is you have to tread water and you have to fight against the sharks and you have to drink salt water. The truth is the challenges of, of living in the Christian life, they are restrictive, but they are good because they rise us above the circumstances. And in Christ, if you don't think that's a biblical illustration, let me remind you of the story of Noah and Noah's ark. We are given salvation in Christ. And although it's restrictive, it is always restrictive in a way that is actually best for you and for me. That's the gospel message in a nutshell in Galatians, and hopefully a great reminder for you as you go back and read the story for yourself. If you have been encouraged, if we've been able to be a blessing in your life, could I encourage you to be a blessing to us in return? Uh, this is the, the final week of our year in review. We'll move on to our, our Thanksgiving and then Advent series next week. But before we do that, a reminder that this ministry is, is fully funded and supported by listeners like yourself. Write in and send your donation to the Prime Rib Sandwich Fund today when you write to Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or give us a call. It's 508-362-7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com, or you can look us up on social media. But don't forget to tune in again tomorrow as we continue our year in review. Tony Marita will show us the real contention for our freedom, which is found only in Jesus Christ. How do you live the Christian life now that you are in this race? Paul says in Galatians 5, 7, you were running well. What hindered you? And the reason they were hindered is they were failing to understand this issue of Christian freedom. On behalf of everyone here at Songtime and our late founder, Dr. John DeBrine, who has always encouraged you to grow in grace so that you won't groan in disgrace, we want to thank you for listening. From Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller with our theme verse. It's Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him.